And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. My guest is Father Jeffrey Kirby. He's the author of many books. Uh, we've talked with him about living the Beatitudes in everyday life, uh, Kingdom of Happiness. And uh, we've talked with him uh, about uh, living the Lord's Prayer. Uh, he has a new contribution called Glory Unto Glory, a primer on ascetical theology. And Father, it's good to have you with me. Thanks. Thank you, Al. It's good to be on your show. Well, let's begin. It's a, this is a primer on ascetical theology. Let's just ask, uh, how is, what is ascetical theology uh, in relationship to moral theology or fundamental theology or biblical theology? Uh, what, what's distinctive about ascetical theology? Yeah, so ascetical theology is basically applying sacred truth, the revelations of God, uh, the moral way of life that, that comes from those revelations, applying all that to our spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. So our life of prayer, our, our efforts at the meditation, our desire to conform our lives uh, to our spiritual way of life. So as we pray, we live. So it, it, it's, a, it's a, a self-denial, a, a death to ourselves, our preferences, uh, what we prefer in order to live according to the revelations of God. I have to tell you, Al, there was actually a, a conversation on, on that subtitle, and the conversation went back and forth, and, and you know, there's a discussion, should it be, instead, should we have used uh, introduction to the spiritual life, right? So, yeah. glory into glory, and introduction to the spiritual life. And, you know, ascetical theology is a part of our tradition. Yes. And, and sometimes we don't know our own words. <laughs> and so we really, you know, went back and I said, we, we really need to claim our language, because Spiritual theology, regrettably, has become very subjective. Yes. People kind of think it's, it's my experience, yeah. or my determinations. Yeah. That's true. Ascetical theology is, is really the conforming of ourselves to the revelations of God. There's, there's an objective aspect to uh, ascetical theology. I really wanted to emphasize in the book. That's very good. I mean, you're right. We're living in a time of self-styled spirituality. I mean, uh, it, it's the, it is the idea <laughs> that we kind of all make it up as we go along, and... Uh, by emphasizing uh, that there's something called ascetical theology, uh, you're saying there's a body of material here uh, that uh, will guide you in uh, yeah. living a supernatural way of life. So, yeah, a, a beautiful treasury. Uh, we have people now who are abandoning the, abandoning the Christian faith and becoming Western Buddhists because they legitimately believe that the Christian faith has nothing to contribute. Yeah in terms of uh, our, our spiritual lives, uh, we call it ethical theology. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they think that the Christian faith has nothing to offer in this area. Whether the truth is, as St. Paul says, there is a, riches, a richness to the glory that, that we have in Jesus Christ, and, and, and the depth of the spiritual treasure of the Church is vast. And so oftentimes I realize, that I think, how can people think that we have nothing to contribute to you know, our growth in the spiritual life, to to a, a real growing in, in, in the ascetical theology, and I realize a lot of times it's because we don't really talk about it, right. or we've allowed kind of like this workshop theology to take over. Where uh, again, I, I like your term self-styled, mm-hmm. where people can just make it up, and then eventually people just get bored, or there's a sense of meaninglessness, or they just kind of uh, begin to realize, well, there's just a certain misery when you're kind of creating everything along the way. And they think that's the Christian faith. Right. 
So I hope that this book distresses now. There is a vast treasury of the spiritual life of ascetical theology uh, that the Christian faith has to offer. And, and when we allow that ascetical theology to work in our lives, then we really begin to experience that richness of the glory that St. Paul's speaking of. Well, the, you, you lead off in chapter 1 with our first inheritance. So uh, go ahead and, and take a—let's begin from there. What do you mean by our first inheritance? Yeah, so it's interesting because a lot of times we live in a world, a fallen world, and we forget that this fallen world is not the world God originally wanted for us. Oh, we are so accustomed to our fallen human nature that we think that this is the nature God wanted for us. Right. And we can forget the obvious, that no, this is a fallen human nature, this is a fallen creation. There was a first inheritance. And by going back, especially by allowing our uh, theological tradition to dissect and to interpret uh, the figurative language of the book of Genesis, we begin to see that our original inheritance, God blessed us with sanctifying grace, mm -hmm. which was that familial, close relationship with him, that we really were his sons and daughters. We, he walked with our first parents, the book of Genesis tells us, in the breeze of the evening. Like he just <laughs> That's a great phrase, yes. You know, so this closeness, the sanctifying grace. And we also have these, these early gifts that were given to our human nature called the preternatural gifts. And one, one in particular that we can forget is that we were never meant to die, that our bodies shared in the incorruptibility of our souls. We also had infused knowledge. There was a harmony between our, our reason and, and our passions. This was what God wanted for us. Yeah. And I emphasize that in the first chapter because a lot of times people haven't heard this. Right. right? And, and if we don't know what was lost, we don't know what Christ sought to restore and to redeem to us. And, of course, infinitely more in Christ we received. But, but the Catechism of the Catholic Church says everything Christ said, did, and suffered was to restore to humanity its original vocation. Yes. Well, if we don't know the original vocation, yeah. <laughs> we're not really sure exactly what the Lord Jesus was doing, first and foremost. Well, it's hard to get excited well, about it, <laughs> about restoring right. what we never knew. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and to realize the beauty and the dignity, the nobility that God wanted for us, for our human nature, for creation, and what sin has done, like what sin robbed from us. So I just think by emphasizing that, that first part of the book, to just teach or to remind the Christian faithful, this is what God wanted for us. St. Saint, Saint Paul tells us the wages, the, the cost of sin is death. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot that was lost from from that original inheritance. And, and, and people who've read the book so far said, that was that one eye-opener for them. Yeah. And they said, I, I really, for the first time, they, they, they shared, began to really understand how evil sin is yeah. and yeah. what it stole from us. That's right. I mean, uh, I'm surprised at how many uh, people I've talked to within the Catholic community over the years who seem to function as though things are as God intended them to be. So uh, the, the idea of the fall, for instance, is completely alien to their thinking. Um, they don't seem to grasp that we're laboring uh, under in, in, in some way in a very unnatural state here. 
Um, but yes. there seems to be a prejudice against the very idea of, quote, the fall. Yes. Oh, and, and now, and, and I'm, I'm grateful, the, the language you're using in terms of, uh, at times, an intentional prejudice, you know, this prejudice against um, the, the teaching of the first inheritance. And in the book, I go to great lengths to quote scripture and the catechism of the Catholic Church to show that this is not the theological opinion of, of one priest or the thoughts of, of one school of theology, mm-hmm. but actually the doctrinal teachings of the Church, because it's been so eclipsed yeah. and so just dismissed. And, and to your point, a lot of times what will happen is people begin to think that we're defined by our sin. So, for example, when someone makes a mistake or does something you know, sinful, people will say, well, they're only human. <laughs> right. Wait, 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 back it up. No, they're they're fallen human human beings. Yeah. So they're you know that fallenness, but but don't define our human nature, our identity as human beings by sin. Right. But this to, to your point, this whole this whole context of this prejudice against these early teachings, uh, part of that is itself a consequence of the fall. We just think so poorly of ourselves. But sometimes theologically, we have theologians and leaders in the church who. Will intentionally deny, dismiss yeah. the early uh, teachings in terms of our, our first inheritance. Right, right. Uh, you make a distinction here, which I think probably is not uh, that many of us uh, don't make, and that is the distinction between supernatural and preternatural uh, regarding gifts. What What is that? Yes, yes. So that's uh, in, in, the, in the ascetical tradition that you know, supernatural are things that are above our nature. Mm-hmm. So, for example, sanctifying grace is, is a supernatural gift. It's, it's the life of God, the filial, familial relationship we have with God. It's a supernatural gift. It's above our nature, not against our nature, but above our nature. Uh, preternatural are things that are beyond our nature. And, and we use this term preternatural in the tradition because these gifts are held in some form by the angelic persons. So they do exist within a created order, but oh, they're not okay. proper to our nature. So they're beyond our nature, but not above nature or the created natures uh, that, that God has, has created, has, has given us. So, the, the, so, But supernatural gifts are infinitely above our nature then? Absolutely. Because yeah. when we speak of supernatural uh, properly in, in the theological sense, we really are speaking of God yeah. and, and the sharing of God's life through grace, um, through uh, this uh, you know, sanctifying grace, through this filial, familiar relationship with God. So it's infinitely above. It is it is a sheer gift that is bestowed upon us. The preternatural gifts, again, exist within the created order, but beyond our nature, more within the angelic nature. Okay. But yes, to emphasize uh, supernatural is... is God. When, when we hear theologically supernatural, we know this is really to our relationship with God. Yeah, very good. And you you already pointed out that the preternatural gifts that we have, infused knowledge, integrity of the passions, immortality of the body, um, th- what does the fall do to those preternatural gifts? Yes, yeah, so Al, I, I use in the book uh, uh, an example given to us in, in the ascetical tradition is that if we can imagine that, you know, our first inheritance, creation, our human nature was, was this beautiful temple, uh, you know, created for worship, a uh, beautiful temple, ornate, magnificent, 
splendorous, uh, well-ordered, beautiful, just absolutely beautiful, stunning, awe-inspiring. Right? And imagine something walking and threw a grenade into that temple. Yeah. And the grenade explodes. The walls of the temple sustained a blast, but everything inside the temple is thrown into chaos and discord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what original sin did to our original okay. nature, to our, to our original characters. It just completely caused disarray and confusion of yeah. everything that got into us. My guest is Father Jeffrey Kirby. Glory unto glory, a primer on ascetical theology. And uh, we're going to continue conversation on the other side. I'm Al Crestup. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I think all of us want to have a deeper relationship uh, with Christ. And we want to have, be able to recognize in our own experience the realities that St. Paul is talking about on the pages of the New Testament, where he uh, you know, has just, again, remarkable things to say. I've been crucified with Christ. Uh, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. Uh, he writes that to the Galatians, uh, to the Corinthians in his second epistle. He writes, And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. I mean, this is the, there is a real path and there's real process uh, in how the grace of God in Christ Jesus works within us. And um, my guest, Father Jeffrey Kirby, has given us just a splendid uh, introduction to what's called ascetical theology. It's called glory unto glory. And uh, we've been, in the first segment, we were talking uh, about our original inheritance, our first inheritance, and then the consequences of the fall, that grenade that was thrown into this beautiful temple uh, that had been created for our worship. And now let's talk a little bit about how the work of restoration, the work of redemption uh, in Jesus Christ. So, Father, where do we say we come to the place in our lives where we recognize that the consequences of the fall, you know, this bomb has gone off, and we've all been hit with shrapnel, all maybe in different places, but we're all we're all experiencing yeah. some deficit uh, and some pain as a result of the fall. What what do we do? What how do we begin on the path to restoration? Yes, I think that as you recognize the the fall of creation, the fall of our human nature, we we see that woundedness, that fallenness in our own souls. I think the first thing that we can do is is acknowledge that the fact that we are fallen, we are wounded, we are, we are sinful and, and to recognize that, that that is our state outside of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing we can do about it, that we are in a cesspool and we are stuck and we can't get ourselves out. And and I think just the realization of that and, and, and the consequences of the sin and what sin robs and steals from our human nature, from our relationship with God, 
then by that acknowledgement, then being able to realize fully what Jesus Christ has done, that the long-awaited anointed Savior, who was given to us at the very beginning, so as God allowed the discipline to befall us and the preternatural gifts were taken and sanctifying grace was lost, in the midst of all these disciplines, God gave a promise that a woman would come, her offspring would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would strike at his heel. That that long long-standing, anticipated promise, its fulfillment was, was looked for and yearned for, came to fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth, and something we could never have imagined, that the anointed Savior, the long-awaited one who would bring forth redemption, would be God himself. That hmm. God would fulfill the promise he made to our first parents, to each of us, at the beginning of time, right after the fall. That God has come in order to restore, to redeem, to bring us home. And I think once we begin to realize that first inheritance and our rebellion and the fall, then we can fully understand what Jesus Christ has done, what he has sought to restore, to redeem. We use this language theologically, and of course St. Paul does extensively in the scriptures, and we use this in our in our Christian way of life, but if we don't have that first inheritance, we don't really know what he's restoring right, right? Right. or redeeming. But suddenly when we put it all within context, we can begin to realize that this is what he has done. He has brought us back to our original vocation, and then infinitely more because it's God himself who is the Savior, who is the one who is bringing forth redemption. And, and, and I think once we have this language, we can go back and read the letter to the Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and begin to realize this is exactly what Paul is trying to work out. Mm-hmm and to emphasize to us. It's his masterpiece. And Paul, of course, as as that skilled rabbi of the Old Covenant, is trying for us to understand Adam was one man, here Christ is one. Here we see forth the redemption, the restoration, the recapitulation of Jesus Christ, that God himself is the anointed Savior, that salvation is possible, the forgiveness of sins is possible, that we are not stuck in the cesspool, that, that the Messiah has come, and he wants to bring us out of that cesspool of sin and bring us back to the face of our Father, back to that filial relationship with God, with, with God the Father, that salvation is possible. And, and I just think that when we see the whole horizon, the awe and, and just the splendor of what God has done, the immensity of his love, how much he truly desires this relationship with us becomes very clear. And I think something that should fill us with profound joy. He, Yes, uh, and I do agree with you that we have to have some sense of what's been lost. I mean, all this language we use, redemption, uh, regeneration, restoration, renewal, they all have an RE as a prefix, (laughs) you know, which means it's bringing us at least what once was. And uh, do we get something more than we had originally? When Jesus is done yes. with us, Amen. And, and that's the the just the, the glory unto glory that's been given to us. That it would have been marvelous and splendorous and glorious enough to be restored simply to the relationship of our first parents to God our Father. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we have received infinitely more in that grace continues to work, and we now bear the image of God the Son as we stand before God the Father, 
and we have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity dwelling within us. So we've received infinitely more. So, you know, as we sing at the East Vigil, oh, happy fault. Yes, yes. <laughs> that brought forth such abundant gifts. Like, so uh, the fact that we are the ones who, you know, were the offenders, and yet, you know, we received the discipline, but when the discipline was fulfilled, it was one of our own who was also God himself and has restored not simply our original vocation, but has given us infinitely more yeah, in, yeah. in Jesus Christ. And, and so the, the, the spiritual disciplines that we practice are the means by which uh, God is restoring us and, and even equipping us for even a greater life than uh, Adam had in the garden. What are, let's ask, let me go to the sacraments. Let's take the Eucharist, for instance. How important is the Eucharist? Uh, I mean, I know, in, of course, it's important. But I want tell me why it's important. Yes, yes. So imagine as, as intimate as the relationship was between our first parents and God the Father. They never ate his flesh or drank his blood. Right. Like they 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 never had his very life consumed by them. And in the new covenant, as we have infinitely more now in Jesus Christ, the Eucharist stands as the highest and, and most abundant of gifts in that. We literally feed upon divine grace. We, we literally feed upon His flesh and His and, and His blood that that He allows us to not simply be fed in some meditor, meta, meta, um, uh, symbolic or, or uh, you know symbolic way, but but actually like very real right here. Um, we we are receiving His own life. Like we are physically, literally being nourished by Him. So so I think that the the Eucharist uh, as one of the sacraments stand as the, the 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 shining example of the infinitely more that we've received in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, that's no, great. That that is really great. Um why, why don't we stay with this a little bit? Uh what does mortal sin do? Yes, yes. So imagine that sanctifying grace or or, or realize I should say that sanctifying grace that was lost by our first parents by the fall mm-hmm. was only restored to us in Jesus Christ. So sanctifying grace, also called deifying grace uh, or habitual grace mm-hmm. in the sense that it, it has habitation, that, that the, the presence of God dwells within us, it lives within us. Yes. So that sanctifying grace, that, that family uh, filial relationship with God is restored to us only in Jesus Christ. And we only receive that sanctifying grace from the sacraments. That's it. No matter how many poor people we serve or how many exercises and meditation we do, mm-hmm. or no, how, no matter what we do in terms of social outreach or anything else that we are called to do as the followers of Jesus Christ, nothing in, in no surplus could even reach or get close to sanctifying grace. As we said earlier, uh, it is the supernatural life of God within us. It is God's life dwelling within us. And we can only receive that through the sacraments. And, and of the uh, seven sacraments, we receive it directly from three, baptism, confession, and the unity of the sick. The other mm-hmm. four nourish that sanctifying grace within us. Right. So you can just imagine the life that has been restored to us that we receive now in Jesus Christ, we receive from the sacraments. That's, that's first and foremost. And, and I want to just emphasize that point because... You know, if we understand sanctifying grace, 
that God's life dwells within us, mortal sin comes in and it kills that. So you can imagine like as one bullet kills a man, one mortal sin kills yeah. the life of God within us. It yeah. is the complete rebellion against God, the total rejection of his goodness, and, and, and the obedience and the trust we're called to give to him. Mortal sin kills the life of God within us. And, and now I, I don't mean to, to be overly dramatic, but I think that we so dumbed down mortal sin in our society mm-hmm. that people forget the consequences right. of what it does to our soul. People say, I can't pray, or I'm not inspired, I, I, I don't want to do the things I know I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And so when was the last time you made a good confession? Yeah. If you allow mortal sin to sit on your soul, yeah. Yeah. there are consequences. If your soul is dead, the Holy Spirit cannot act through sanctifying grace. Now, actual grace, he's going to keep working, right? So he's going to keep giving moments of conversion to bring us back, but he can't build up or make a strong edifice mm-hmm. within our soul. The Spirit cannot do that in a soul that is dead. When sanctifying grace is lost like that, does that mean that we lose all maturity that we've achieved through our experience of you know, walking with Christ over a period of time? Yes, yes. And, 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 and this really is, when we speak about temporal punishment in terms of the consequences of sin, uh, we lose that. Mm-hmm. Now, but, but here's the good news, is when we repent, especially if we do so in a timely manner, if we repent and our souls do not become too deformed by sin, when we repent, then one of the graces of confession that sanctifying grace that comes to us through confession is it restores that new self, that yeah. new person yeah. within us. So it's not completely lost yeah. Yeah. as long as we act quickly. Right? Yeah. If someone Very has good. mortal sin and they let it sit for three years or something, right? <laughs> there's going to be a lot of harm to the soul. Our soul is not made for sin. Yeah. Our souls are very fragile. They're made for the life of God. They're made for glory. So I, I want to encourage if someone finds themselves in moral sin, get to confession. And, and, and allow that restoration to happen again, and, and what was before will be brought back, so long as we act in a timely manner. Father, let me thank you once again for being with me. This is a marvelous book, and I thank you for having written it. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be promoting it here in our online bookstore, and I thank you. Thank you, Al. Always good talking with you. Father Jeffrey Kirby, wonderful book. Um, and what I, I tell you, what I like about it is it's, about 125 pages. So here you have a primer on ascetical theology. It's great. Glory unto glory, Father Jeffrey Kirby.